Hey everybody, welcome to episode 408 of The Virtual Couch. Welcome to 2024 as well. I am Tony Overbay. I'm your host. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. But today, today I'll be playing the role of the lovable hypocrite because we are going to be talking about sleep. And I have done sleep episodes before, a sleep hygiene, and I say all the things that I'm supposed to say that we need to be in a dark room and go without devices and don't eat a bag of Oreos before you go to bed. And all, all of those things that I know are really good things to say, but we apparently do need sleep and it is important. I wanted to say blah, blah, blah. But seriously though, over the last few years, I, I could say I have been keenly aware, yet also owning the fact that I have set myself up to be a person who just doesn't sleep a lot. And for some reason, I think as a society that sleep is this great differentiator, meaning that I rarely mention how little I sleep, because I feel like people want to immediately let me know how bad that is that I don't sleep. Far prior to maybe asking me about my own thoughts about my sleep, or is that something that does impact or affect me? So it's just a really interesting concept. And I haven't slept much over the last 20 years. It makes it sound like every few weeks I, I crawl into a cave and hang upside down and just pretend to sleep for a few hours. It's not that. Of course, I sleep every night. I just believe what it feels like to be me or part of my own implicit memory is somebody who just doesn't sleep much. Then if you happen to be like me, you have found a lot of examples of people who may not have also slept very much in history, such as Sir Winston Churchill was a night owl. He apparently only got around four hours of sleep a night. Thomas Edison was reported to have slept only around three to four hours a night. Nikola Tesla only slept around two hours a night. I think that we could make some sort of joke about him being hooked up to some sort of electrical current. Leonardo da Vinci slept around two hours a night and had this unconventional sleep pattern known as the Uberman sleep cycle, sleeping 15 minutes every four hours and just ended up sleeping a total of one and a half to two hours per day. Napoleon Bonaparte, not sure if uh, the best of company, but slept around four or five hours a night. Florence Nightingale supposedly slept around two hours a night because she felt like she just had so much to do. But why I say it's the great differentiator is because if I'm asked how much sleep I get, I think I'm often met with negativity. And this is my observation and judgment, something that I have done a few podcasts saying not the best idea to do. So I will try to separate my observation from my judgment. But I believe that the person asking often taps into a tiny bit of their own maybe insecurity or emotional immaturity and thinks that I I believe that I am doing something better than or that I think that I am more evolved or more special or important because I don't sleep. But the reality is I, I would like to sleep more. I truly would. But what it feels like to be me, which is honestly the person that I am by far the most acquainted with, is that I went from falling in love with ultra running and then continuing to get up earlier and earlier for decades to run because I had this just, uh, I had never expressed it out loud, but this zero impact of family policy, because I just had this desire to be a dad for such a long time that I just didn't want to miss out on all those experiences and opportunities. But I also found such a sense of purpose and joy in the running. So that led to getting up earlier and earlier and earlier. And then transitioning from there into a job that I absolutely love from going from 10 years in the computer industry where I did not enjoy what I did, which I think is why I found ultra running to then continuing to do the running and finding a job that I absolutely love everything about it as a therapist, podcaster, speaker, writer, 
I just want to get to the office earlier and earlier to be able to write and record and learn because I care. So I feel pretty darn good. But to be fair, I worry at times that I'm not doing as much for my body or as good as what I could do for my body by not sleeping. So when my guest today, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith's publicist, reached out and asked about coming on the podcast, my first thought was, I'll pass. And only because I get a lot of requests to be on the virtual couch or on the Waking Up the Narcissism podcast. But I saw Dr. Sandra, and she's a sleep expert and a board-certified practicing physician and a mother of kids and an author of a couple of books, but this one, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. So I like the sound of all those. So when her request came through, I immediately forwarded it to my assistant, Naomi, and I just asked, can you please book this one for me? And it really is for me. Whether it sees the light of day or not, uh, we'll, we'll find out. And then my daughter, Mackie, the co-host of The Mind, The Mirror, Me, actually is the one who did the editing of the Dr. Sandra episode. And it was interesting because she said, I loved it and I want to read the book. And so this isn't, uh, I don't get anything from promoting the book, but it's, I think you're going to learn a lot from this interview today. And the interview, although short, doesn't disappoint. And the reason it's short is that unfortunately her audio disappeared a little over half an hour or so into the podcast. And we noticed that while editing. So then you just hear my part. So I've edited that part out. But what I have done and what makes the episode a little lengthy is that she refers to a rest quiz that is free and I highly recommend you all take and I will put the link in the show notes, but it's at restquiz.com and it will give you results on how you score on Dr. Saunders seven types of rest, which we talk about in the interview. So for the first time, I played with a screen record feature in my Descript editing software and I recorded video and audio of me taking the quiz and then I hopped back on to talk about the results. So I think you'll learn a lot of things about rest that you didn't know you didn't know. And then I encourage you to take the rest quiz. You can hang on on the episode and listen to me. Take the rest quiz. That way you know all the answers and you can study for the quiz. Just kind of joking. But I wanted to show what it really was like. And honestly, I sort of wanted to screen record or to do something like that live. Uh, for me personally, it did not disappoint. Because you'll see that there are a lot of mental health concepts related to taking tests and quizzes, especially ones that have a range or a scale of answers. So I think I have more fun doing that or as much fun as I have answering the questions about rest as I do on the concept of taking an online quiz in real time. Well, let me introduce Dr. Sandra. I'm going to read the description of her book off of Amazon and then I'll read about her off of one of her websites. And before I get to that, though, I also found a website that does have some common myths to debunk about sleep. And I was going to spend more time here, but we've got plenty to cover today. But I'll do a speed round on a few of them because there's a couple of them that are just interesting that I love breaking pop psychology myths. But one of these was recently brought up by a family member, and I wanted to find the answer to this anyway. And thankfully, it is not true. And yes, it has to do with spiders and sleeping. Okay, so here are the uh, the common myths about sleep. First, your body gets used to the lack of sleep. The fact is that a lack of sleep takes a toll on your brain and your body. And actually, that's one of the things that Dr. Sandra and I hit right away. How long you sleep is all that matters. That's the myth. The fact sleep quality is a critical factor in sufficient rest, which I also think that plays into what Dr. Sandra and I talk about. And this is from sleepfoundation.org, by the way. Myth, if you are having trouble falling asleep, stay in bed until you fall asleep. And uh, the fact is experts recommend getting out of bed if you've already spent 20 minutes trying to fall asleep, because I believe it doesn't say this, but you're starting to create your a relational frame of that the bed is not necessarily the place where one sleeps. A myth, a warm bedroom temperature is best for sleeping. The fact most people sleep best in a bedroom around 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And here's the one. Myth. 
Thank goodness you eat spiders in your sleep. Fact, people do not eat spiders while they are sleeping. The fear of spiders crawling into people's mouths at night is widespread thanks to the internet. However, there is no evidence that spiders willingly crawl into people's mouths in the night, and it is unlikely that a person would swallow one in their sleep. When spiders encounter a human, they are likely to run away. Although the myth of eating spiders during sleep is well known, it is not clear how it originated, and when researchers who study the spread of misinformation analyzed online news stories about human spider contact, they found that 43% of the stories about spiders were written just to shock readers. And the myth may also have spread since the fear of spiders or arachnophobia is thought to affect between 2.7 to more than 11% of the people. And I literally wonder at times if when the movie Arachnophobia came out, which I remember was in my, maybe in my teenage years, maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, I wonder if it originated there, but I have no data to back that up. And here's Dr. Sandra's Amazon information about her book, Sacred Rest. It says, how can you keep your energy, happiness, creativity, and relationships fresh and thriving in the midst of a never-ending family demand? or career pressures, and the stress of everyday life. In Sacred Rest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, a board-certified internal medicine doctor, reveals why rest can no longer remain optional. Dr. Dalton-Smith shares seven types of rest she has found lacking in the lives of those she encounters in her clinical practice and research. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, sensory, social, and creative. And why a deficiency in any one of these types of rest can have unfavorable effects on your health, Happiness, Relationships, Creativity, and Productivity. Sacred Rest combines the science of rest, the spirituality of rest, the gifts of rest, and the resulting fruit of rest. It shows rest as something sacred, valuable, and worthy of our respect. By combining scientific research with personal stories, spiritual insight, and practical next steps, Sacred Rest gives the weary permission to embrace rest, set boundaries, and seek sanctuary without any guilt, shame, or fear. And from Dr. Sandra's website, She is a board-certified internal medicine physician and work-life integration researcher. She's the founder of Restoracis, a professional development agency dedicated to restoring well-being in the workplace through its proprietary seven types of rest framework. She's a busy physician, author, and mom. She understands that life's demands can leave you feeling mentally overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and physically tired. And she has a TED Talk, and she's been on an amazing number of interviews, shows. So I was grateful to have her on the virtual couch. I highly recommend follow the links in the show notes to the rest quiz to her book. And let's get to my interview with Dr. Sandra. Dr. Sandra, welcome to the virtual couch. Thanks for coming on. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think if I was being the therapist to myself, I've been excited about this, but I also found myself almost wanting to fake sick this morning so that we didn't talk about it. (laughs) Uh, maybe I need to lay down on my couch. We want to talk today about you have a book called Sacred Rest. And a lot of the listeners know that I will every now and again do a nice episode on sleep and sleep hygiene. And I will always say I have to practice being authentic. And this is not something, it's not a strength of mine. There's a part of me that wants to just say, just tell me everything you know, and I'm going to tell you all the things I'm going to, yeah, but, but tell me about the book. What went into writing it? Why is this such a, a topic or is it a passion for you? It is. It, it's, and I, I have to be honest, I was just like you. Okay. So I you. burned out is how this began. I'm a high achiever, workaholic, love productivity, felt like rest was for losers. And so I was like, I, I don't really need to worry about this rest thing. I'll rest when I have time. Yes. And I'm an internal medicine physician. So in clinical practice and about five years into that, I had children. Okay. I had them back to back. 
And I did not realize how much work kids were when <laughs> I had my two sons. And so there, around that time period, I burned out. Okay. And it was one of those situations where this was years ago, over 15 years ago. Burnout wasn't a common yeah. thing we talked about at that time. And so there wasn't a lot of information. Everybody was just saying, oh, you just need more sleep. Oh, you just have young kids. You're just tired. You need more sleep. And so I did that. I made an effort to get eight to nine hours of sleep. Okay. And I was still waking up exhausted. Okay. You're helping now, me skip physician, steps here, which is nice, because I've always thought if I could just do that, I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> and that's the thing. I felt the same way, because in medicine, you're trained if you're tired, you sleep. Yeah. And so I... Because I was in medicine, I could do all the sleep tests. I could check all my blood work. I could do all of those things easily. Nothing was wrong with me. My sleep quality was excellent, and I was still exhausted. And that was a desperate situation. If the thing that's supposed to cure me isn't curing me, am I fixable? Yeah. And because I think my background is in biochemistry, I tend to look at things from the molecular level. It's like, let's break this down to the smallest pieces rather than just give up. If I'm still tired, something is fatigue that I haven't identified yet. Can I just tell you, I can't even tell you how validating this is because you've already helped me with the, I have thought if I can just get more. So then since I can't, I've been obsessed with mindfulness and meditation and lowering my resting heart rate to the point where now that's almost my only goal. I've been looking at everything from binaural beats to every type of meditation. And I've been able to slowly lower that resting heart rate, but it isn't really changing much. And I've monitored through like a sleep watch, the quality of sleep. And so I love that you just mm-hmm. that you just normalized so much for me. And so I just anticipated that I'll figure this out by doing this. And then I thought, worst case, sleep more and then go get blood work. So I just want to say, anybody listening right now, okay, we, we just skipped a whole bunch of work right there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm a physician, so I like blood work. So, but, <laughs> but, the, but the reality is there's a lot of us who the doctor has said, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, is this in my head? Yeah. And, and what I ended up finding is that there were parts of myself that were fatigued, that I wasn't talking about, that nobody was really talking about. And that just led me on a journey of what came to be this, the seven types okay. of rest framework that I use that helps you be able to determine and really self-diagnose what actually is tired. Wow. Because oftentimes it's not just the physical. Okay. It's one of those other seven areas that's depleted. Yeah. And you have a rest deficit in one of those areas. Do you want to go through those? Yeah, we certainly can. Okay. So, well, just to name them, the seven types are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Okay. And so the, the caveat of that is, is that, if you're just sleeping, which is primarily a physical type of rest, mm-hmm. some of these other types can never be restored with sleep. Okay. Like you can't be you can't get creative rest by sleeping. Creative rest requires you to surround yourself in areas that are inspirational and motivational to you to spark creativity. Yeah. You can't get that with your eyes closed. Okay. You can't get emotional rest with your eyes closed. You can't get social rest. So it's one of those things where the areas that I was actually needing rest and restoration in were emotional and creative because yeah. those were the areas I was using throughout the day. I was problem solving as a physician, yeah. taking different parts of people's story, put them together, come up with the diagnosis. That is a creative element, uh-huh. although we don't think of yeah. that as creativity. Yeah. So a lot of us, if we're problem solving in our life, we're using a lot of creative energy and depleting in that way. Okay. So it's a matter of really switching our mindset. You know, a lot. oftentimes we think of rest as cessation activities. It's stopping. Yes. But rest is really about restoration. It's about pouring back into the places that have been depleted to get them back up to a restored 
place. You know what I like about this is I feel like in mental health in general, so many of the things that you assume that will work are the cure is paradoxical. Almost the I'm trying to avoid anxiety. So then I do everything to avoid anything that would make me anxious versus accepting that I will be anxious and then being present. So I think I'm having a moment here with the restorative quality because I would assume that if I'm doing that, that isn't going to restore me in a sense. You're right. I think it has to be a cessation. What does that look like in those different areas? Yeah, great question. To sometimes help people visualize this a little bit on how it's different. If someone came into the emergency room where I'm working and they are bleeding, and I tell a nurse, suture them up, I've stopped the bleeding. So that's a cessation process. Okay. But if that person was bleeding for five days, I'm still sending them out depleted. Okay. Because they're anemic. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we're doing a lot of times on the weekend with Netflix and chill or, you know, Mm -hmm. go on a vacation. I'm just going to get away. I'm going to do a cessation activity. You stop the bleeding, but that you actually do something to pour back into the place that was deficient. Okay. And so what that could look like, let's say if you're if you're someone with a mental rest deficit, mm-hmm. and you can tell if you have this because you you lay down at night, you're tired, but your brain won't yeah. shut up. Okay. So your head's like overactive. You're over an overprocessor. You're analyzing even when you don't want to. So if that's if you're that type of person then a way to pour back into that could be, as you mentioned, mindfulness activities or meditation. Mm -hmm. So you're not just sitting around with your eyes closed. You're doing an activity that actually helps calm the brain back down. Okay. Another way of looking at that is a lot of people will say, when I go jogging, I just feel like it clears my head. Well, jogging is not restful, as most people would think. Physically, you're putting a demand on your body, but jogging can be mentally restful Because during that time, your focus is narrowed down to your cadence and your breathing, which are meditative type processes. You're focusing your attention on some very finite things. And so we have to be able to look at, even in situations where we might be physically very active, Mm -hmm. are we experiencing a restorative process in another area? That's funny you mentioned that because I've been a 25-year ultramarathon runner. And so I've often said that if I don't do something then I feel shorter, fatter, balder. I'm a worse husband, father, therapist. And so even at the end of a long day, sometimes I get home and I just, I have to do something, a quick work on a bike or the incline walk on a treadmill. And I've never looked at that because it does seem a little bit counterintuitive that after a long day, then I need to go get really tired. But it is it's such a mental thing at that point. Yeah, because your physical body, chances are you're not using your physical body yeah. I'll speak for myself. No, you're correct. (laughs) As a physician, I'm not physically using my body a whole lot as I'm walking from office to office, sitting in a chair, talking to a patient. However, I'm using a whole lot of my brain in that process. So my brain is done, but my physical body still has something left in it. So, So it can go out and do the jog or the walk or the swim or whatever it is. And it needs that repetition, that okay. kind of mindfulness, mindlessness activity yeah. to be able to get my head space to clear out all that clutter. That's absolutely it. And do you find, are there benefits to, I almost want to say combining or am I trying to cheat the system? So if I'm exercising on the treadmill and then watching something that is engaging, or am I, am I trying to combine too many things or is it one at a time? Well, that's the... Yeah, that's the thing. For some people, they can do that. But I know for myself, because of the overprocessing, I tend to have to, when I'm combining, I'm combining the mental rest with the creative rest. So in other words, I like to take it outside so that I'm inspired by nature. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm out there doing my walk or whatever it is, and I'll catch up 
a, a canary, you know, or somebody that flies by and I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a beautiful you know, yeah. creature. Or I'll see a flower or a squirrel or run by or, or something that that reminds me of nature and kind of inspires me in that way. Um, I tend to like to walk around bodies of water. You know, we have ponds and things, uh, lakes and things in my area. So I tend to like to walk in those areas yeah. because that's what inspires me. So you can combine things up, but you just have to make sure that what you combine doesn't actually take you out of that type of rest. I'll give you an example. Okay. Some people are like, I, I don't have time to read. So I'm going to, I'm going to jog and listen to an audiobook. However, if your mind's already overloaded with information, that's probably not what you need to do <laughs> at that moment. Yeah. You're probably better off doing it in silence because a lot of us actually have sensory rest deficits as well, wow. meaning that we always have noise coming at us. Oh, talk about that. I and feel like so, that is the, I, here's where I could sound like the 50 plus year old person I am and the kids these days. And, and then I realize, oh no, I'm doing the same thing. That, and what is that? Right. What is that about? Do you think that I always happen to have something? Yeah, sensory. Yeah. Well, I think we've gotten uncomfortable with silence. Okay. Sensory rest deficits are, it was interesting. We have a free assessment at restquiz.com. Okay. We, people, over a quarter million people have tested, taken it. So we have lots of data and lots of information. Yeah. And before the pandemic, it was always mental rest as number one. And then everything else kind of fell out going back and forth between two and three. When 2020 hit, Sensory rest deficits shot through the wow. roof. I mean, they came like from fifth place all the way to number one and stayed at number one for like months. And we even started hearing new vocabulary, things like Zoom fatigue. Oh, yeah. I mean, people okay. didn't know what they were experiencing, no. but they're like, there's something to this that's messing with me yeah. <laughs> and making me tired. And so it was a, it was a sensory rest deficit okay. that they were experiencing. And a lot of us experience that, but we don't understand how our psychology responds to it, how yeah. we kind of our mental status responds to it. If you think about it like this, most of us have experienced road rage, uh -huh. but it's not in the morning time. It happens in the evening yeah. because in the evening we have exhausted our sensory resources. That's fascinating. And so all of the lights, the sounds, the notifications on your phones, the the virtual meetings that you do, the conversations that are in the office space where you're even just hearing like the hum and the buzz of other people talking, yeah. elevators going off. All of those things can lead to, sen to sensory overload. And most of us respond to sensory overload with irritation, agitation, rage, or anger. Okay, It irritates us in some way. It gets our stress response elevated. Yeah. And so we have to be able to recognize we, that it's necessary to downgrade some of that sensory input. Everything from, but using maybe noise cancellation earphones. Mm. If you are, if you're someone who travels for work and you're like, whenever I get to where I land, I'm like so irritated and exhausted. Maybe you need to put noise cancellation earphones on because the hum of that plane the whole time you're flying for three, four hours is adding to your sensory overload. Maybe even putting those, those noise cancellation earphones on in your office for 15 minutes, just for a moment of sensory reprieve. Turning the radio off on the drive home from work yeah. occasionally so that you can have a moment of reprieve. There's so many ways to kind of filter that. Turning the TV off in your house if nobody's actually watching it. It's so funny because I think so you many know, people view that as a comfort. <laughs> but I think and now that you're saying this, I think bringing awareness to that even right now, I almost want to click the noise cancellation on my earphones now because I do hear the white noise machine in the building. And, and I've never thought about that mm -hmm. all just making an impact. That, that's Well, yeah. think about it this way. We say that we we are ignoring it, or we say that you know we've filtered it yeah. out. How do you filter something that's coming to to your body? It's your brain that's filtering it. Yeah. 
So if it's constantly working, trying to filter out the background noise, and the more background noise you add, the more it has to work to try to filter that out. Well, I have to tell you, when I speak, I'll talk, I do a lot of couples therapy, and I'll, I sometimes want to be hilarious and talk about the differences of men and women. But I found this study, and I can't pull it off the top of my head, but it was talking about over time, even when couples communicate, that it becomes repetitive acoustic stimuli, and that it's almost like white noise. So then I would make the joke that when, you know, when you say, I never hear what you say, and that there's a little bit of science that backs that up. So it is interesting that the more you hear something, I've always assumed that the brain just says, okay, if I'm hearing this all the time, then I need to start just filtering that out. Is that kind of that concept? But it's still there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's still working. It's still, it's, it's filtering. It is filtering, but in the filtering, it's having to work just like an air filter. Uh You know, it's working. The filtering is the work (laughs) that it's doing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So whenever we, we, you know, we say, well, I don't, I, the TV's playing, but I'm not paying any attention to it. Consciously, you're not paying any attention to it. Subconsciously, your brain is having to hear every word and filter that out so that you don't hear it. That's absolutely, oh, that makes so much sense too. And this maybe is on a little bit of a tangent, but I am curious when you're talking about the sensory input, sensory overload, uh, I just got new glasses and I was having a lot of dry eye symptoms and my optometrist did an amazing job spending a ton of time with me talking about, I thought it was a me thing. What, what's wrong with me? And then he was telling me that that is a incredibly growing, I don't know, industry or business because is yeah. that, what, what do you know about that? Yeah, it's a cultural thing. Most of okay. us spend so much time on our computers okay. and when you are staring at a screen, you're staring yeah. at a screen. And so you're, you're uh, even how you use your facial expression and how you, uh, how you open and close your eyes. That's what he was saying, right? Okay. Yeah. It's almost like when you read a book, you know, it's when you read, it's like, you're really concentrating and you're going back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you don't even want to blink because it's like, you're going to lose focus. However, when you watch TV or watch a movie, you blink often mm. because you see them blink and it's like, <laughs> It's, it's like you see somebody yawn, you yeah. yawn. <laughs> and so when you're watching someone on a TV or a movie, you're constantly blinking because it's like having a conversation with someone. Wow. However, when you're reading, the natural tendency is not to blink. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So then do you find it? He was even telling me to, to almost blink aggressively because it, uh, there's the ducts of the, in the eye that, I mean, I, I, I thought that there was so much. Yeah, there. your tear ducts okay. respond to your blinking. Wow. The more you blink, the more the the more lubricated things okay. stay, I should say. And so I think it's it's one of those things where when you don't think about it, yeah. no one thinks about blinking. No. Like right now we're all blinking right. like because <laughs> our brain's like blink, blink. Yeah. So but when you don't think about it, you you I mean you don't blink when you're reading. You're focused. And eventually you blink because it gets uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, you, your eyes actually start, you'll start feeling a little bit of that discomfort and your eyes will, will blink yeah. kind of in a response to that. Hey, can I ask you, I, I really like that you have spiritual rest in there as well. And uh, so this is just, I, I, I do a, a fair amount of work with people that are navigating even things like faith journeys, faith crisis. Mm-hmm. And I love that work. And, and so often it's people that who desperately want a, a faith community or a spiritual practice, but maybe they have, they have started to move away from their their spiritual practice. And I've never thought about it this, but I feel like it does cause a lot of distress and then they'll often abandon a spirituality in general. But then I feel like that, you know, that obviously isn't the answer either. So can you kind of speak to, well, I feel like it isn't look at the therapist saying they're wrong, you know, uh, but, but tell me about the spiritual rest or what, what's that look like? Yeah, that's the one that is always the most controversial okay. of the seven. <laughs> always because we have, it's, it's 
a lot of people in different camps. Sure. And everybody yes. thinks their camp is right. Yeah. And so I kind of try to meet people on a middle ground yeah. with that. I have my beliefs and you have your beliefs and they don't have to be the same. Yeah. But all of us need some level of spiritual rest. Okay. I define that as the need we all have to feel as if we belong, okay. that that we are loved, that our life has meaning and purpose. Yeah. I don't care what faith camp mm. you go into. Every human needs to feel that. Or they feel disconnected from yeah. the world and from humanity. And so that's kind of the common ground with it. Some people experience that in, in different faith-based communities. Mm. That's where they get the meaning and the purpose and the belonging. Other people experience that through things like groups or volunteerism yeah. or, or causes that they have find meaning and purpose within. So I always tell people, enter into that conversation at the level you're, you're able to enter in today. Yeah, That could change. You know, you might not believe in a faith system today, a certain one, or change up, but your need for spiritual rest still remain, regardless of kind of what the dynamics of that look like. I love that because I do. No di- oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, it's no different than if someone is one moment, they're like, for mental rest, I want to do brain dumping. Yep. That's how I'm going to get mental rest. But on another day, I get mental rest by doing meditation. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and you're so spot on. And it, literally before we went on today, I'm doing a podcast recording on kind of being okay with being okay and, and kind of starting from wherever you're at. Because I think so many people, whether it's in their spiritual community or in their family system, feel like, okay, I'm doing it wrong. When in reality, they're just doing and being. And, and then when they try to then exit the family system, that doesn't cause them to feel good in, in that faith community. I, I often look at the rites of passage and social capital and and cultural meaning. And then, yeah, so I like what you're saying. So that's hardwired in us, I think, that we need that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it should be hardwired in all of us yeah. because it keeps us hum- it keeps that humanity connection. Mm-hmm. Because if I feel like I have some level, it, it, it with social rest, when I when I teach this with incorporations mm-hmm. or I'm working with a company as a, you know, a fractional chief health officer in one of their organizations, I don't go in and I don't talk about faith, obviously. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that doesn't happen. The way we talk about spiritual rest within companies and, and so that we can see how inclusive it is, is do people feel like their voice has value? Mm. Or do we have empathy for each other? Okay. Are we able to show compassion as leaders? within the workplace so that those who are under you don't feel less than yeah. they feel like they that they're they're advocates within the company that they are bringing value at the place where they're at so it's so much more inclusive than just what church do you go to yeah exactly <laughs> you know, yeah oh, i love that and i think i you know i mentioned to you before we hit record that i have another podcast called waking up to narcissism and early on i was very intentional about saying okay narcissistic personality disorder is a tiny percentage of the population but it gets thrown around a lot and i i kind of went big on the we're all emotionally immature until we're not till we become more emotionally mature but i do find a lot of the people i work with are in relationships or are are even getting out of relationships with emotionally immature individuals where they felt like they have been trying to caretake or, you know, it hasn't, they, they don't know themselves and they haven't, they, they feel like they are just this human doing, you know, instead of being. And mm-hmm. so I feel like so often they want to do these things, but it's that their visceral or gut reaction or their body keeps the score. So I'm curious if you can kind of speak to that population of what, what is the best way to start to get to this restorative practice or where, because I feel like there's, there, these are these pathologically kind people that feel like, they're being selfish, you know, when they're trying to do self-care. But what, what can you say to that? 
Yeah, that it really makes me think about emotional rest okay. because and social rest because both of them deal with people, mm-hmm. the people in our lives. Emotional rest having to do with how you are able to share your emotions with others. Do you feel the liberty to be just real, raw, authentic yeah. about what you're feeling? And then social rest, evaluating your relationships to determine who are the people in your life who are negatively pulling from your energy and who are social energy and who are positively being life-giving and kind of affirmative and pouring back into you. The majority of all of our relationships tend to be negative social relationships, not negative in the people are negative. But they're needing things from us. So much sense. And so then we have to evaluate who are the people in our life that don't need anything from us. Wow. The people who are pouring back into us. And it can be your kids and your spouse, you know, but if you have toddlers, they're not going to be pouring anything back into you. They are gimme, gimme, gimme. They need stuff all the time. Um, Your spouse can be the same way, though, if you don't have kind of that type of relationship where you have learned how to actually be each other's emotional and social rest. Okay. Sometimes you're pouring, sometimes you're receiving. Mm. And I think a lot, oftentimes it's hard, particularly, and I hate to generalize, but I I work with a lot of women. So I find that a lot of the women I work with have a hard time receiving. They are, a lot of women are nurturers. They have a nurturing type personality. Mm. They want to nurture their families. But then there's a shift that has to happen where you have to realize that you also, like, who's nurturing the nurturers? Yes. Like, someone has to be nurturing you as well. And so, yes, you're pouring into your spouse and your kids and all the things and the people that you work with, all of that. There needs to be people that are pouring back into you. And there needs to be people in your life that you feel the liberty to be able to be have true emotional rest, yeah. where you can say how you're feeling without having to make it edible for other yeah, people, absolutely. kind of fancy it up so that they can digest it. Yeah. And and sometimes that is a, a counselor or a therapist mm. or a coach or someone you're paying for. Sometimes it can be, like if you're religious, it could be a pastor, mm. it could be a trusted friend or a family member, it could even be a journal. Yeah. But everybody has to have some place where they are releasing the truth of what's inside of them and those people where that who are speaking life back into them. That's beautiful. That really is because, you know, as a therapist, I I believe that wholeheartedly and I think it's so healing even just for people to be able to express themselves and and have somebody say, "Man, that sounds hard," or "Tell me more" versus, "Well, you know what you should do," because then we just start to bottle everything up. But I like what you're saying about uh, it it does feel like when somebody's almost like their whole life is about giving to others that and I often say they fall into that pattern where then that is when they want something themselves it isn't like everybody says oh great mom mom has needs too it it, it doesn't it almost is it upsets everybody else because well, wait what about me because i think so many of us are inherently looking through our own lens nice way to say selfish mm-hmm. yeah so so it can be really difficult and i think almost expected that when you start to look to, for that self care it will not be met with you know balloons and a parade you know yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And you know, that's one of the reasons why so the the term self-care has just really been downgraded to be honest with you. I feel like we've we've associated self-care with pampering. Yeah, like, yes. Oh, mom the wants a manicure and a pedicure. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. It's like that's self-care. No, self-care is the stuff you do to nurture yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's more than just pampering. Sometimes it's 
taking a day just to sit with your thoughts mm-hmm. and to clear out your headspace. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's taking a day. It's, it can include a massage and all of those things. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not against that. Yeah. But I think we need to kind of go deeper with what self-care looks like. For some of us, self-care is actually being very intentional about inspiring ourselves because we've lost our, our kind of creative flow. We've lost our ability to be inspired by life. Yeah. And so sometimes self-care might be doing something that's inspirational to you. And so I think, yeah, I I think sometimes we just have to kind of redefine what is it, what do we need? I think that's part of it. Identifying where is the deficit of what, and then what do you personally need? Well, I love the personally because I, my, my big message is you're the only version of you that's ever been on the face of the earth. So, you know, you think and feel the way you do because you do. And so therefore you would need the things you need because you need them. And if somebody else is saying, I don't know if that's a good idea, oh, that's a them issue, you know, bless their heart. Or it's adorable <laughs> that they think that they know what I need. You know, I'm open for suggestions. Oh, that's but, so good. Yeah. But, uh, but it's so funny because I feel like that's where then people start doing the things. Okay. I guess I'm supposed to do fill in the blank, but that's why I love what you're saying. Those the seven areas are, we can start to explore each one of those. Do you, do you here? I just said everybody's unique and different, and do it however you want to. And I'm saying, tell people which one they should do first. But do you find that which you know which <laughs> ones are maybe easier? If somebody's and I'm going to recommend this book like crazy, and and I think that then yeah, where does someone? I would imagine maybe they start where they start. I can get all hippie like on these. What do you say to that? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that when I initially started this work, I'll I'll be honest. When I initially started, I, it was all for me. I had no I'm intention glad of to hear any that. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Anything else? I was simply trying to survive a profession that I love, but that was killing me. Yeah. I did not know how to to segment things out to be able to survive it, and so that's how the body of work came about. And when I started sharing, when my patients started noticing a difference. That's when it really dawned on me. I'm on to something here because <laughs> they would say something's changed about you. Yeah. And the only thing that changed is that I actually had energy for uh-huh. them. <laughs> okay. I actually was happy about being at work every day. And I started sharing this information. That was the number one question. Oh, I, you know, uh, now that you've said about these seven, where do I start? Do I just need to get all seven? Some of us are already doing some yeah. of these exceptionally well. We're already yeah. doing it just naturally. But typically, there's one or two of these types of rest maybe that you've never heard of yeah. or never thought about or never been intentional about. I tend to say start there. Start with the ones where you're like, I think I may have a deficit. I mean, you can go to restquiz.com okay. and take the free Good. assessment. It'll give you a score in all seven. And you can kind of see, oh, this is the one that I need the most work on. Mm-hmm. Start with the one with the greatest level of deficit. You will automatically start feeling better because the bucket that was the emptiest starts getting filled back up. Okay. And then you start playing around with some of the other ones. It takes a little trial and error because meditation works for some. It does nothing for other people. Journaling works for some, does nothing for other people. So it's, it is very personalized. I think and you have to sample. Well, and that's so good to hear because I know I talk about meditation a lot and sometimes I have clients where I almost feel like they they feel like they're doing something wrong when they say I'm not really getting it. And I know in the past I've probably said, well you got to keep at it, you know, again making it a me issue, uh, but w- more than that there are so many other ways to get to this place. That's really nice. That is. Okay, right, so restquiz.com, I'm going to put that link and have everybody go there as well. What what else? I mean, I don't know, I really like your energy, I like your vibe, and then I love the fact that that you were doing this for you. I, I, we always feel like as therapists, you know, every therapist pretends that they didn't get into the business to fix themselves, but we really did. So I didn't, you know, is that the version of this for a, for a physician? It definitely is. You know, it's one of those things where you take what you take, what life gives you and you 
you figure out how to survive it. My mother died in childbirth, so oh. I always had a bit of a situation with the healthcare system. Okay. Like, what yeah. did you do wrong? How did yeah. this happen? You know, kind of situation. So that's probably what took me into medicine. And so it's one of, like I said, it's one of the situations. Life happens to us all. You, you figure out how to survive it yeah. is how it works. And in the surviving of it, when you stay at it and you allow your mindset and your your way of approaching things to be adjusted and enlightened, you get to a place of thriving. I love so it. So I feel like we all start with a survival mode because it's like, okay, yeah. we got to get through the hard stuff, but then you can transition to a place of thriving within it. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question? This is, again, a little bit more of a, yeah. I'm just curious. I, I feel like so often people don't give themselves permission to even go to the doctor or find out about uh, certain health conditions. And I just see that in my office a lot where I'm trying to advocate for somebody to go in and then they have all their yeah, buts. Well, yeah, but they won't understand. Yeah, but I won't know what to say. You know, yeah, but there's only five minutes or it's probably not a big deal or, or, or. And I feel like that's a part of self-care that I really want to figure out how to address better. Do, Do you have thoughts or advice as a physician on what can help people come in or... I do, and it's uh, I. I'm I'm gonna have to taper my words. I guess because <laughs> the healthcare system. We all know oh, this. The healthcare gotcha, system gotcha. is is seriously broken. There's there's so much wrong with how medicine is done in general. Yes, you should have more than five minutes with your physician. I 100% agree with that. But I also realize that the reality is most physicians don't spend more than 10 minutes with their patients once a year, you know, uh, yeah. because of how the system's set up. So what I always recommend is for people to to become their own health advocates. So you may have a physician that you work with who's the person who checks your blood work and they're the they're your local physician that's staying on top of things. But if you have other needs that that physician's not meeting, you can try to find another physician in your area, but that gets complicated mm-hmm. because they got to be on, you know, they got to be in, in network yeah. and all the other things. Or you may have to actually be very intentional about looking at what are some ways of connecting with healthcare and kind of building your own healthcare team. Okay. Healthcare providers that are outside of your network that you are learning from either through like books or courses or trainings or programs or things like that where you are being just very intentional okay. about that. Yeah. And so I think it's it's a way of you having a little bit more control. You know, most of the lab work now you can actually order yourself online. I was literally going to ask you that, Dr. You know, I think they do and I was yeah. just thinking about that where, you know, I just have been seeing some of those those sites or tests lately and I was I I'd, so are those they're reputable. They are Yeah, you can Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't want to name any yeah. names, but there's but there's quite a few of them. Okay. Not only are they reputable, they're the exact same companies the doctors are oh, using I see. in the okay. hospital and in their office space. So there's one that comes to mind, like I'm not going to name it because I don't, all the legal stuff with all of that, you know, all the attorneys in the yeah. back talking in your head. So, <laughs> but there are so many of them out there that now that will do the lab work for you. Some of them even have physicians that oversee the lab work. So they're not your physician, but they look at the lab work and and because they know the patient has ordered the lab work, a physician will review it, so to speak, and say, hey, you may want to take this to your personal physician. Okay. Now, if you don't have a physician, that's kind of like, ding, 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 go find out what's wrong with this test. You know? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> there is something yeah. positive with it. Yeah. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is my maiden voyage on doing a screen record. So I think this will be kind of fun to do. And what I'm going to do is take Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith's rest quiz. And I want to do this in real time. You have hopefully just heard the interview that I did with Dr. Sandra, and it really did make me rethink a lot of things that have to do with sleep. And I'm very 
well, I think as of late, I have been very open about my lack of sleep, but I've been doing it for so long that I want to convince myself that it absolutely works for me. And, and I've been tracking my sleep through a sleep app for quite a while and, and trying to lower that resting heart rate through meditation and mindfulness. But I just learned a lot from Dr. Sandra. So I want to take the free quiz and I've gone to restquiz.com and I want to take it and comment in real time. So let's do this. Uh, here we go. So take the free quiz. Let's read the whole thing here. This free personal rest assessment is based on Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith's best-selling book, Sacred Rest. Recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity, and features her seven types of rest framework. Receive a complimentary rest deficit analysis to learn what type of rest you have been missing. Rediscover the fulfillment and satisfaction of a well-rested life. Instructions read and answer each question below. Allow five to ten minutes to complete this comprehensive assessment. You are worth the personal time investment. And that line actually got me pretty good because a part of me just said, I'll do this later. The old I'll do it later story. And then I thought, I'm not going to release this episode, which I think is so powerful until I take this rest quiz. So here we go. I am worth the personal time investment. So the first question, if I could spend an extra hour finishing my to-do list or sleep, I would choose sleep. And the answers are does not describe me, rarely describes me, occasionally describes me often describes me, almost always describes me. Now, here's where I think the fun part of psychology and taking these kind of tests or quizzes kicks in. Because when I see those, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm judging myself of, well, which one is absolutely, is it rarely, occasionally? What do they mean by rarely? What do they mean by occasionally? So we're just going to dive in and we're going to do this as best as we can. So again, if I could finish, if I could spend an extra hour finishing my to-do list or sleep, I'd choose sleep. That rarely describes me to almost does not describe me. But I do find myself thinking rest might not be a horrible idea. So we're going to go with rarely describes me. I feel tired at the end of the day, but have a difficult time falling asleep at night. And again, this is what's so funny. I would say that rarely describes me or does not describe me, but I'm having a hard time with the absolutes. So I'm going to go again with rarely describes me because I feel like at the end of the day, I don't have much of a challenge of falling asleep. Sometimes it can be a challenge staying asleep. And for the oddest reasons, when I wake up, I do think of all the things I have to do, but I'll be, I would be lying if I didn't say it's more of a, the things that I get to do. And then I just want to start doing them. So I feel tired at the end of the day, but have a difficult time falling asleep at night. Rarely describes me. I'm often battling up a respiratory infections and get sick more often than others. And I think this is a funny one because there's a lot of sickness going around in my household and with my clients these days, these days, as if it's never been a thing, but it's currently the very beginning of January when I'm recording this and it is cold and flu season. We still have lingering bits of COVID and I feel like most every client I'm talking to, I have one that already canceled today because of a bad cough and sickness. And one of my clients yesterday was just coming off of it. And I spent the holiday weekend listening to a couple of people in my life hack their lungs out in a very immature way. The more I could make them laugh, the more that they coughed. And so then that became my my mission. And, and that mission was accomplished on many occasions. But I digress. But this is where I was going with this is I think so many people say, I, I never get sick except for when I'm sick. But this is one where I truly feel like I, I can't believe I don't get sick more often because the lack of sleep, which is part of the thing that I think makes me think, oh, okay, I think uh, maybe it's not such a bad deal. So I'm often battling upper respiratory infections and get sick more often than others. I would say it does not describe me. Look at that one with the absolute. I have daily muscle soreness, body aches, and neck pain. Does not describe me. 
I often feel sluggish between 2 and 5 p.m. and desire a sugary snack or a cup of coffee. This was interesting because uh, full transparency as a card-carrying adult ADHD diagnosed person, member of society, I take a ADHD medication and it it is impossible to, it seems like, be sleepy or tired when you're on the medication. So this is something that I remember years ago I would experience, but I don't feel the sluggish, but I honestly do find myself craving some sort of sugary snack. And often I'll have, I have clients. This is what's funny to me in my relational frame, a certain client, when they come in, it's associated with, I have a little refrigerator full of tiny dove dark chocolates of all kinds of varieties. And they're the one who's coming in early later today, we will be having three dove dark chocolate with almonds and that will happen. And once in a blue moon, this person will come in early in the morning. And it's so interesting to see that I find myself thinking I need to have chocolate. I don't feel sluggish, but I do desire a sugary snack. So I'm going to say rarely describes me. I routinely use wine or an alcoholic drink to help me unwind in the evening. This is one where I've actually never, never been a drinker at all. So that one does not describe me. And uh, I'm occasionally required to lift 20 or more pounds throughout the day. Okay, these are funny because uh, to my left are my my 20 pound dumbbells. And I try to do lots of sets of push-ups throughout the day between clients because I enjoy fitness and exercise and that's a, a value and push-ups are the vehicle. And so I occasionally required, I'm not required. So it is something that I choose 100% to do. So it does not describe me. I participate in more than five hours of high intensity exercise each week or engage regularly in sports. Almost always describes me. I do feel, and I think I might have even said it on the interview with Dr. Sandra, that if I don't exercise daily, then I feel like I am shorter, fatter, balder, a worse husband, father, and therapist. So that is something that happens every day. If anything, Dr. Sondra really validated me because I feel like I don't take many rest days, if at all, because I feel like they will happen, whether just something happens or travel or or so I can put together weeks where I don't have a rest day as far as exercise goes. That was one that I'm worried about. But if it truly is restorative rest, which I appreciate her saying, then I'm not going to feel as bad about not having the rest days. But I think that is one of those things that I, I do think is important. So again, that almost always describes me. I lack the energy to do fun activities with my family during the week and on the weekend. That does not describe me. And boy, I love this concept. And this is really fun to do this and talk this out loud because I feel like so many of these things, I don't know if we know the mental health impact because I have now long since decided to try to be fully present. If it is something that I am doing, choosing to do, then why on earth am I going to complain about it or or not show up as energetically as possible? If I feel overwhelmed, tired, or something that I don't really truly want to do or have the time to do, then I feel like I have to have the courage to say, I don't want to do that. So if I am doing it, I am all in. And and I look forward to that so much. So I lack the energy to do fun activities with my family during the week on the and on the weekend. I will go with rarely describes me. I want to say does not describe me, but I don't want to pretend that that I am perfect at this. Okay, I get less than six hours of sleep on most days. Almost always describes me because my my average, according to the Sleep Watch app, is is typically around four hours. And on weekends, I can pull off a six or seven hour uh, sleep. And I have been trying to do that more and more. I often find my thoughts drifting when I'm trying to concentrate. Oh, how dare they with this sleep quiz? How about a little ADHD? Anybody? Because I find my thoughts drifting, but I can bring those thoughts back to the present or I can go with those thoughts and see where they take me. So I'll just 
we'll go down the middle on this one. The, again, the question, I often find my thoughts drifting when I'm trying to concentrate. We'll say that occasionally describes me right down the middle. I get easily irritated and frustrated when people add tasks to my to-do list. Okay, this is going to end up being something I'm going to say so often as I'm taking this. And I'm so appreciative of this, especially to be able to do this in real time, because I have definitely been irritated and frustrated when people add tasks to my to-do list years ago in the past, before I learned the wonderful tool of mindfulness. And again, if somebody is offering me a task from a place of differentiation, what an opportunity to self-confront and grow, either to self-confront and say, yeah, I, I would like to help with that, or I can do that, or I would love to be the person that that can leverage whatever contacts I have or time or ability to do that. But if it's just somebody saying, hey, I would like to offload this onto you, whether, of course, it's probably subconscious or subconscious when they're saying that, then uh, I need to have the courage to say, oh, I'm not going to be able to do that. And that is that, I'm going to put up air quotes because you're probably not watching this on the YouTube channel, although I highly encourage you to. But that is something that I have now, the air quotes, what I'm talking about is uh, learned to say no, which actually doesn't deserve air quotes, but it has been difficult to do that until over time, it's not as difficult. So I get easily irritated and frustrated when people add tasks to my to-do list. Well, we'll put it rarely. I don't think it really describes me, but I'm sure that there are times where someone would say, well, hey, how about you tell your face or your body language? I avoid new tasks because I fear I'll make an error or mess it up. I'm going to go with rarely describes me. Because I'm, I'm game for a new adventure or challenge, but also the older I get, the more acceptance and commitment therapy-based I, I live my life, that if I'm doing something, there's an acceptance that I may make an error, mess it up. Now I can go all philosophical psychology and say, what is an error? It's just an opportunity to take in new data and, and uh, continue to grow. So I'll say that one rarely describes me. I find it difficult to make decisions. I think I'm going to have to comment on every single question because that is something that used to be a problem until it was recognized that it is a decision and I will make plenty more. And I'm not going from a right or wrong place. Let's say this is the first time I'm in this position in my life as a human being. So check this out. This is what I'm doing. And then we'll gather the data afterward. And if people are disappointed, then technically that's a them issue. But I will take in that data. So I find it difficult to make decisions. I would say rarely describes me. I often yell and get upset with the people closest to me over insignificant things. I'm going to go with does not describe me. Thank you, personal work and self-care. I spend most of my day doing activities I find overwhelming. I would say rarely describes me because I find myself enjoying the things I do, even though it is a job where there are a lot of emotions and no one books to see the therapist because they just want to pay to tell you how wonderful things are. But it's truly something that I, I feel a passion about and enjoy. So that one rarely describes me. I prefer to daydream about the life I want rather than dealing with my real life. I'm going to go with rarely describes me because... When you act in accordance or in alignment with your values or, or purpose, then you are heading toward the direction of the life that you want to live because that is the life that you're living. So there's an acceptance there too. So I'm going to say, actually, we're going to go with does not describe me. I often can't fall asleep because I'm replaying events, conversations from my day. That one rarely describes me. I am forgetful and have difficulty retaining new information. This needs to have little asterisks for ADHD. But I'll say that occasionally describes me. But here's the funny thing, though. The difficulty retaining new information, if it's something that, that really matters, then I have a better shot at retaining that new information. But there's also an acceptance there that, of course, I'm not going to retain all the new information. And that's something I'm probably going to have to go back and take a look at if it truly is something important. So um, I'm going to go with occasionally describes me. I find it hard to grasp new concepts and ways of doing things. 
I go with rarely describes me because I'm typically not trying to do things that are of no value or purpose to me. So if it's something that, that really matters, then, then I'm more invested than not. So I'll say rarely describes me. I tend to focus on my failures and flaws more than my successes. Boy, in the past, this would have been my theme song and uh, my mission statement, but now it is quite the opposite. So if I can say anything, yeah, this rest thing sounds incredibly important, but boy, what a, hopefully a, a commercial or a plug for go to a therapist, work on your mental health, self-confront, do the things that you don't know that you don't know. And it just, it can just change your entire outlook on life. That is absolutely the case. So I tend to focus on my failures and flaws more than my successes. I would say that one yeah, rarely describes me. I'm not going to say that it never happens. I feel insecure and unsure about myself around new people or situations. I would say that one doesn't describe me, but that's because that is something that I moved from in my more, more emotionally immature days, probably from a place of arrogance to now as the older I get from a place of acceptance that, well, this is who I am and they are being them and let's interact, shall we? So that does not describe me. I often find myself apologizing for my actions, even if I'm not in fault. And that's, boy, I wanted to say, boy, howdy, which I think is a phrase that maybe we've made up in my uh, home to be funny. But I know that this is something that the pathologically kind people do and that I would like to think that as a, at some point, an anxiously attached individual like myself that wanted to make sure that everything's okay, right, everybody, right, guys, that this is something that I have done to a fault in the past, but not something that happens now. So we're going to go with rarely describes me. I am my own worst critic. Rarely describes me because self-compassion and acceptance is the key. I get depressed or angry when I think about the direction my life is going. That does not describe me, but would have before I changed careers in my early 30s to become a therapist. I worry and feel anxious when I hear news or think about potential dangers around me. That one rarely describes me, but there are times where I do have to notice that I am starting to feel anxious about the future. I literally just before recording this was watching a 60 minutes episode on YouTube about the future of AI, which I love AI and I know it is here. There's an acceptance there, but it, it, it makes you get a little bit of the anxieties for sure. So I'm going to put that that one rarely describes me. I tend to be more pessimistic than optimistic about life. That does not describe me. I find it necessary to explain my actions, even in situations where no explanation is required. That one... That one on occasion describes me. We're going to go right down the middle on that one. I spend most of my workday presenting my best self to customers, clients, and colleagues. Boy, in the past, absolutely. And now I'm just doing and being, uh, being me. So I would say that one. But there is a part of me that does want to show the people that I'm working with that, hey, I, I'm going to be authentic and, and I am practicing what I preach or living what I'm, what I'm putting out. So we'll put that one rarely describes me. Uh, I don't know. There's quite a few more. So this is, and check this out. We're 15 minutes in. So now we'll talk about test fatigue because I think that's a very real thing where then how often do we then start to just go through things rather quickly? And I think at the beginning of this quiz, it said five or 10 minutes. Now I'm talking out loud and maybe it was just assuming, I'm sure it was assuming that you're just going to go through this. So we'll do a little bit of speed round from here because I do want to get to the results. So I feel uncomfortable talking about my desires and goals. That one rarely describes me, but I would throw that in the bucket of it used to a lot. I feel like life is pointless and has no real purpose. That is a fascinating way to put that because sometimes I feel like I'm at this place where there's an acceptance that it may not necessarily uh, feel like there is a point or has purpose, but that is now coming from a, so what a pleasure, what a joy. Now we can just be and do and we're making 
too much of a big deal about so many things that if we can just let go and be, that uh, that's where we really will find a point and purpose. We're going to go with the rarely describes me. I don't experience a sense of accomplishment in the work I do or the life I lead. That does not describe me. I often feel hopeless, helpless, trapped, and defeated. That one doesn't describe me. I've had thoughts of ending my life. And this is an interesting one from the therapist lens, the therapist chair. If somebody tells me that they don't ever feel that way, that's one where as the therapist, you want to say, "Mm, I think we all have those thoughts. But then I think that there's a belief or a concept where that thought occurs, just like a lot of thoughts occur. But that isn't one that I spent much time uh, ruminating on or having any suicidal ideations or, or plan. So I have had thoughts of ending my life really does not describe me. I don't believe God cares about me as an individual. We could talk about spirituality in a really interesting way, and that might be a topic for a future podcast. But I, I believe that I am cared about by whether it is God, the universe, the you know, however one wants to view that. So I'm going to say rarely describes me. I sometimes feel numb and do things that cause me pain so I can feel something does not describe me. I'm not satisfied with my life. Rarely describes me. There are times when I don't feel as satisfied because I, I feel like I have direction and, and purpose for me personally, which is a wonderful place to be. But then there are still things that I would like to do more of to help myself, help my family. And then if that helps other people through the podcast or my work, then that would be wonderful too. I find comfort in food, drugs, or alcohol. That one often to occasionally, let's go with, I mean, I don't do drugs other than ADHD medication. I take supplements, health supplements, a bit of a supplement junkie, I think. I don't drink alcohol and I do not eat well. So I do find some comfort in food, but I don't, I, as a, I want to say as a therapist, am I in denial? But I don't feel like that is something that is necessarily driving my life. So we're going to say that occasionally describes me. We'll go right down the middle. I sometimes wish I were never born. That one doesn't describe me. I struggle with the concept of God. I think there's an acceptance of my belief system. So I'm going to say that one rarely describes me. I avoid social situations. That one rarely describes me. There are times where I may feel my brain sponge is full. I think that comes from Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. But I I believe that one rarely describes me because there are times where I just feel a little bit like I've had enough of interaction because of that, again, full brain sponge. So we'll say that one rarely describes me. I often feel detachment from family and friends. I would say that one does not describe me. I tend to attract people who mistreat or are abusive toward me. That one, that one does not describe me. But I, I acknowledge that in the past, that one might have played more of a role. But as one gets more toward a, a place of authenticity and boundaries than, and differentiation of not having to prove yourself to someone or defend yourself or break down their reality, then if someone is attempting to mistreat or abuse me, then the hope is that I can recognize that, acknowledge it, and at this point not need to waste any emotional calories on that person. I find it hard to maintain close relationships or make friends. I would say that one rarely describes me. I feel like I'm the only one who struggles with various life issues. That one does not describe me. I prefer online relationships over face-to-face relationships. That one truthfully does not. Online relationships, I don't really have those. I guess there are some virtual clients that I work with, but we're going to say that one does not. I enjoy working on projects by myself. Yeah, that one often describes me because I find that now I'm pretty comfortable with myself. And so writing, recording podcasts, at this point, having worked for myself for a very long time, 
then this is a lot of the life I live, which is interesting too, because over the holidays, I've had a couple of interactions with people who have said, why are you working the day before or the day after a holiday? And that's one of those interesting things too, where, well, because I'm self-employed and if I don't sit in my chair, then I don't make a living. And uh, the acceptance of the self-employed is I have no sick days, I have no vacation. And that is not saying victim mentality or pity me, but it's just saying that, hey, there's part of that acceptance. But one of the things, the reason I go on this little tangent is one of the good things about that is I also get to work on projects by myself and I'm figuring myself out and I'm not necessarily asking for people to tell me that things that I'm doing are okay because they're the things that I'm doing. So um, I enjoy working on my on projects myself. Then I'll say almost always describe to me. My social media persona is not an accurate representation of my real life. That one's interesting because I don't spend as much time on social media as maybe I had in the past, but it's because I feel like I have so many amazing, wonderful things to do. So I have a, a, an amazing team, the Yaya agency that handles most of the social media. And then my daughter, Sydney, posting things on TikTok where things are really blown up there. And the Yaya agency has a lot of momentum going on the things that they're doing. So I am not 100% sure what that representation looks like on social media, to be quite honest. So my social media persona is not an accurate representation of my real life. I'll, I'll say that rarely describes me. I isolate myself from others and prefer being alone. Rarely describes me. If I needed someone to help me do something today, I don't know who I'd call. I don't, that does not describe me. I am sensitive to loud sounds or bright lights. That one, I'm, boy, my startle re re reflex is, is pretty much off the charts though. That one's interesting. I'll say that one rarely describes me. I spend over four hours a day looking at a computer screen. Eh, that one often describes me. I dislike natural foods and feel they have no flavor. That's an interesting one. I'll say that one does not describe me. I don't enjoy being hugged. That does not describe me. I'm a bit of a hugger. I am desensitized to aromas. Others smell easily. That one rarely describes me as I become obsessed with candles as is per the therapist code. I don't enjoy concerts, fireworks, or other sensory rich experiences. That does not describe me. I crave processed foods and sugary drinks. That, yeah, there's uh, that one occasionally describes me. We'll go right down the middle. I think we're getting close. I often experience pain pressure or fatigue behind my eyes at the end of the day. Now that is something that I am being treated for right now. Right before I hit record, I have some moisturizing eye drops from my eye doctor. And I actually just for the first time used a eyelid wipe as well because, but I was told that the, the dry eyes are a, a big thing nowadays because we spend so many, much time on screens. So that pain, pressure, fatigue, I would say fatigue but not really the pain or pressure. So we'll say this one occasionally describes me. I have no sex drive and don't enjoy being touched. That one does not describe me. I get anxious when around lots of activity. That one does not describe me. I focus on the needs of my family and prioritize them over my own needs. Oh boy. If we're talking about my family, that one occasionally to often describes me something that I'm trying to work on, which is when I talk so much about self-care, not being selfish. So we'll say that that one, that one... I go with occasionally describes me. I often omit self-care from my to-do list. That one rarely describes me. I feel selfish when I take time off to do something just for me. Rarely describes me. I tend to do self-destructive things or make choices that sabotage my happiness. That does not describe me. I don't believe my work is of value or that others appreciate my contributions. I will be honest and I, I don't think that that... I, I, 
I've gotten more validation than I ever thought that I could get in a lifetime. And I'm grateful for that. It turns out that isn't actually what I was chasing, which is a good thing. But uh, so I appreciate those who comment or the download episodes. So I'm going to say that does not describe me. I live in an urban area in the suburbs. So we're going to say rarely. I have difficulty brainstorming new ideas. No, nope, that one does not. I can brainstorm the heck out of ideas. It's the execution that is pretty experience, uh, that is, is more of a challenge. I spend most of my time inside and rarely get a chance to experience nature. That one I would say occasionally, and that's more because I work inside and, and I work a fair amount because I do enjoy the things I do. I don't consider myself to be a creative person. That one's really interesting because I don't necessarily consider myself to be a creative person, but I am routinely told by others that the concept of putting five, 600 podcasts together and, and writing books and speaking is a creative process. So I'm going to say rarely describes me. Here's the last one. I lack motivation and I'm in need of inspiration. That one doesn't describe me. Okay. So I am filling this out. I'm putting my name down and. And where did I hear about the rest quiz? That would be the virtual couch podcast. So I would encourage you to put that there as well. I don't really get it. I don't, not even really, I don't get anything for that. So we're going to hit submit. And if for any reason this comes back and says that it didn't go through, then I will hit, I don't know if I'll scream before I hit stop or I'll hit stop and then, then scream. Okay. My personal rest quiz results are on the way to my inbox. Okay, I have the results back now. So it's been a little while. It only took a few minutes to get the results back. And I will just read this. It says, congratulations on taking the first step on your journey to finding the rest you need. In my book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, I share about these seven types of rest that I found lacking in many patients and how rest impacts every part of our lives. Just as a reminder, it's physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And I immediately, I think like people do, I jumped right to the scores and I saw numbers and the physical rest score is 22. And I'll tell you what these mean in a second, but I think it's just interesting the way the, I think the brain works. I wanted to just see numbers right away and I didn't know what I didn't know or thought what would these numbers even mean, but uh, physical rest, 22, mental rest, 20, emotional rest, 18, Spiritual rest, 16. Social rest, 18. Sensory rest, 19. Creative rest, 18. I all of a sudden thought, well, they're pretty similar, but I don't know if it's on a scale up to 20 or 25 or who knows. So how to interpret your results? Based on your input, my input, the type of rest with the highest score is the one you should focus on. It's the primary type of rest you are missing in your life. If you score 0 to 15, you're getting an adequate amount of rest in this area. If you score 16 to 25, you're experiencing rest in this area, but would thrive with more. And if you score 26 to 35, you are feeling the effects of your lack of rest and you need a change. If you score greater than 35, your life is negatively affected by your lack of rest in this area. So I think that this is fascinating because then all of these scores, literally every one is in that second range. So none of them are under 15, which says you are getting adequate rest in this area. But I'm in the middle or the lower end of 16 to 25. So I'm experiencing rest, but I would thrive with more. I love that word thrive. And then the category that is the highest is physical rest. This is why I so appreciated the interview with Dr. Sandra and her book. If I pull up her book in the section on physical rest, she tells a a really good story um, that involves her in childbirth. And it's uh, just very powerful. 
But then here's a couple of quotes that I think make sense as to why then as somebody who I have to get my exercise in regardless of why I would need then physical rest. So she says, recognizing your risk that there are both passive and active forms of physical rest. Passive physical rest is outside of your direct control. It feels like somebody has flipped off a switch, forcing you to be still. Inertia is a healing place where stillness leads to recovery of the body's natural ability to heal itself. Sleeping and napping are the two most common types of passive rest. Sleep is not an option. Whether or not you choose to lay your body down, eventually your body will shut down. Sleep is required for health. And she says it's not the foundation of rest, but it's the byproduct of rest. But the most effective forms of active physical rest include dynamic stretching, which I do not do, breathing exercises, which I'm doing better, soaking baths. I have purchased one cold plunge tub, which I have not used yet, prayer walks, stretching poses, which I think is in essence yoga. So these forms of active physical rest release the tension in muscle groups and restore calm to the body. If you use your physical body throughout the day, you need physical rest. And she said it talks about it's a practice for athletes. They're mindful to include stretching after weightlifting or rest days. But that type of active rest would be something that I could see myself needing more of. And the more I've done meditation, mindfulness, and tried to calm the the body, the better that I have felt. So I can't wait to go over more of that. I appreciate it if you made it this long. I highly recommend the book, Sacred Rest. I'm grateful for Dr. Sandra for coming on the podcast. And I will see you next time and taking us out per usual. As always, the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with her song, It's Wonderful. Have a great day and we'll see you next week on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most